And we are officially recording. Welcome, listeners, wherever you are. It's the first ever episode of Fix This Flick, a podcast where two struggling millennials deconstruct your favorite films and tell you how we'd make them better. Hey there, listeners. This is Rob. Hey, Rob. So since this is our first episode, we wanted to share a little bit about ourselves and why we decided to make this podcast. So yeah, that's Rob. I'm Ali, and we both live in Toronto, Canada, a land of igloos and polar bears and some beavers too. <laughs> and uh, for full disclosure, we actually have zero filmmaking experience. I mean, I'm in journalism. Rob's a master chef. Would you say that's accurate? Master Absolutely, chef? yeah. Um, I would say, though, that you're you're somewhat of a bona fide cinephile. You're a movie buff. Um, I'm a little bit more layman, a little bit more laid back, down to earth. And About your maybe more, Yeah. But um, so we've got um, diverse perspectives, I think, or two different perspectives. I mean, we've always talked about movies a lot ever since we first met each other. We met each other in university. It's been about 10 years now. Has it been wrong? 10 long forgotten years. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Yes. I mean, uh, yeah, we've had lots of long conversations and deep into the night. Some of them heated. Uh, th- there's one <laughs> I remember. This is, uh, I'll probably say our most uh, enduring conflict has been about uh, Let Me In, the American remake of the Swedish vampire horror movie Let the Right One In, uh, which you incorrectly believe is inferior to the Hollywood version. Would you say that's accurate? Uh, I would say that's accurate, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not a Puritan when it comes to movies. Uh, I know a lot of people will um, are steadfastly in the camp of the, the original is better, usually, and I, I think that's also true, but in certain circumstances i think uh movies just get outdone outplayed outfoxed as it were and i think uh let me in is a good example of that i see i see well i'm gonna i'm gonna hold my comments back maybe for a future episode yeah so you want to take it from here rob anyway so we've had uh, a lot of these these discussions in the past and uh the idea for fix this flick came to us after we saw ad astra recently the the Brad Pitt space movie you've all heard of earlier this year and uh, we were both so underwhelmed by it we knew exactly what we didn't like about it and why it didn't work as a movie and um, Ad Astra is yeah pretty um, pretty lackluster and skippable if you ask us but uh, we thought why don't we just make a pod ta- podcast talking about that yeah yeah and sure there there's a ton of movie podcasts out there from professional critics or whatever or professional means in that context I mean, it's not like it's a designation you can study for or have credentials for. Uh, and then there's people like us, just regular folks who love talking about movies. But we wanted to come at things from a slightly different angle, you know, a more relatable one, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, not in, we're also not interested in reviewing every movie that comes out. You can find that anywhere, really. We want to revisit pop culture's most beloved classics and the biggest movie hits of the day that we both weren't really big fans of and explore exactly why we didn't like them and how we'd make them better. So that's what we're going to do. Talk about what worked for us, what didn't, and see if we can come up with ideas about uh, what would redeem a movie or at the very least make it better. Uh, At the end, we'll pass our final judgment on whether the movie is fixable, broken, or damaged beyond repair. But enough of our spiel. Let's get down to the show proper. For our very first episode, we'll be revisiting one of the biggest horror hits of 2019. It's Jordan Peele's Us. I 
That's a classic right there. What does I got five want it mean? It's about drugs. It's not about drugs. It's a dope song. Don't do drugs. Get in rhythm. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Can't believe how big Dave got. You hear Gabe got a boat? He's kidding, right? He's not kidding. Hey, I think it's vodka clock. Oh, yeah. Where's Jason? 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 Where were you? I didn't know if you were lost. Stick with me, and I'll keep you safe. There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scared of a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Exactly like us. They think like us. They know where we are. We need to move and keep moving. They won't stop until they kill us. Or we kill them. Us stars Lupita Nyong'o as Adelaide, a mother of two, haunted by a childhood trauma that resurfaces when her family goes on vacation in the very town where it all first happened. After some eerie coincidences, Adelaide's paranoia reaches high alert as she grows increasingly certain something bad is about to happen to her family. Yeah, so that's us. Uh, for, uh, for our first episode, we had a bit of a discussion about which movie would be good to kick things off with, and we agreed that Jordan Peele's horror thriller Us, which came out earlier this year in March, was a good choice, uh, mainly because I feel like both of us are at such odds with the mainstream sentiments around uh, Peele's first two movies. So I think everybody's familiar with uh, Peele's directorial uh, debut, um, Get Out. It was a massive hit when it came out two years ago. Peele, who uh, at the time was most familiar to people as one half of the comedic sketch duo Key and Peele, came out of nowhere to make Get Out. It's a horror movie of all things. Uh, it was nominated for four Oscars, including Best Picture, and Peel won an Oscar for his writing. Yeah, it did, which was kind of surprising to me, you know, because, I mean, I felt its premise was pretty brilliant, uh, twisted satire that captured the fragile state of race relations in the U.S. today. And, you know, I did like certain scenes. I, I felt the movie overall, though, was pretty average. It often just came off as amateurish, really. I remember there were scenes that were too long, there were awkward tonal shifts from the, the comedic relief and the movie's, you know, more serious moments. 
but yeah, it's a clever little premise, but it's nowhere near as brilliant as the critics and its biggest fans have made it out to be, in my opinion. Uh, Rob, what did you think of Get Out? Um, I, I agree with um, pretty much all of that. I, I think it definitely came off as a, as a debut movie. And uh, Us shares a lot of the same um, pitfalls uh, of having strange tonal shifts. I think it's a little bit more well put together than Get Out was. Um, but both of them are, are a little bit messy at parts, um, but still enjoyable. And, and um, the crowd loved Get Out. Us was very well received. There are things to like about both of them. Problems with both of them that we'll talk about. Well, we'll talk about mostly us in, in this podcast. But I, I liked it. I liked both of his, uh, his first movies. I guess we're going to dive in from here. It should be said that this podcast will have spoilers. Yeah. From yeah. the outset. So yeah. be warned. Part of the reason why we picked it for our first podcast is because there's so much to talk about. Whether you like it or you hate it or you think it had problems. It was definitely made upon a vision or it had a point and a message to convey. A little bit sloppy at times, maybe, or even un- unintentional at times. But it was definitely a movie that gave you something to think about and to talk about. So I, I chalk that up as, um, as a victory for Peel in this movie. A and, victory for humankind. <laughs> and I think it is one of this movie's greatest strengths. Is just that it, it alludes to a lot of allegorical content and metaphors. Uh, like I said, whether intentional or not. <laughs> I like that addition of whether intentional or not. <laughs> um, it's funny because I, 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 agree with, I agree with you, Rob. It does allude to things. Uh, but it's one of those movies, and there's a lot like it, where I just feel like maybe it was more in-depth at some earlier point, but once you see the final product, it's just, eh, it's there, but there's nothing really to sink your teeth into, and I'll get into specifics later. I thought the first, I would say, half hour of the movie is pretty solid. So you you start with, you know, uh, I guess a flashback or not a flashback, but you start in the, uh, the movie starts in the 80s and a main character is a little girl and you, you just get a, you, you get to see how that traumatic experience that affected Lupita Nyong'o's character happened. And it, it was just a well-constructed scene. Um, you could sense the eeriness and everything that was happening and, uh, I was gripped. I was thinking, like, what is going to happen? Uh, something bad is definitely going to happen. What, what's it going to be? And then it jumps to the present day, and you see uh, she has a husband and two kids, and you get introduced to the family and their dynamic, and I think that's actually the strongest part of the movie. They're very relatable. I think uh, the movie was very well cast, and the family is quite relatable. They they seem organic. They seem like a family. I think um, that was quite well done. Yeah, the dad in particular was was great. He was the comic relief. Yeah, he was the, the comic relief. Yeah, uh, Winston Duke. Some of you might recognize him from uh, Black Panther. I think he was in one of the Avengers movies too. We're not both of us are not really Avengers people. I recognize him from that. Yeah, he he was great. And what the movie does really well is it gives you a little taste of what might have happened to her, but it doesn't give you all the answers. And you what you do know is. And this is a minor spoiler to just kick things off with that there was somebody else who looked like Peter Nyong'o's character, Adelaide. Unclear who that was, and we don't know as a viewer. And so just to, just to go by the standards of a horror thriller, it, it, had, me, it had me gripped from the beginning. Uh, well, what happens next, Rob? Uh, you're introduced to the neighbor family. What were they, the Tylers or something like the that? Tylers, yeah. yeah. 
who is your your typical um i guess high society i don't know if they're high society but they're definitely a wealthy white family who possibly hates one another they're unhappy miserable people um who have more than they need yeah they're just spoiled so i think that that's a commentary i think that's the point of the movie in some large sense is that it's a commentary on how um, there are consequences to high society or, or the upper class and and for all the successes of the upper class there there are um, people who lose out on the bottom clearly we're supposed to see the Tylers as a contrast to the main family Adelaide's family so uh, you know parents each of them have two kids but w- what I couldn't really figure out was what was the movie trying to say about the differences between the reciprocating people in the two families? What was the insight that we could get from the you know character traits of the Tylers compared to the main family? I, I didn't really pick up as, as much of a, a stark contrast between the two families. I guess it's apathy. It's just not being conscientious of, of the effects that they're privileged life has on those that are less privileged there are there are no characters I, who starkly represent that class i think it's done metaphorically in this movie by the the tethered who live underground so that they're, they're connected to them and they're exactly like them well i think it's metaphorical but i i, I, <laughs> I <laughs> that's those, those are the messages that i i felt like the movie was trying to convey i i get the 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 metaphorical way but what, what i'm struggling to see is how what what the family what any of the families do how they can be held responsible based on the framework that the movie puts in how are you supposed to be responsible to your tethered doppelganger that you didn't know existed who was part of some (laughs) government program yeah well i suppose that's part of the problem with the movie is that when they spell it out so literally having these literally a doppelganger for every american citizen living underground is that what it was even was it every american citizen it was unclear i think that's what they meant yeah (laughs) but yeah so to explain that part what we were talking about what what ends up being revealed is that there was some kind of program that was intended to mind control people into doing what some vague mysterious power wants them to do by having these copies that are connected to the originals uh, through their soul or that that was unclear and so all these all these copies they 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 were abandoned the project was abandoned for some reason also i think it was unclear so they all just live underground in these facilities and the movie in the beginning hints that you know there's thousands of miles of unused tunnels across america and no one know, and no one knows what they're used for or something along those lines what this movie's supposed to be is a, a horror thriller right yeah. Did you say so? So I was I was game for what it was doing half an hour in. And then you have that first uh, big sequence where it becomes a legit horror movie. Adelaide and her family go back to their vacation home and it's dark, it's night, and there's just four people standing outside. Inexplicably, we don't know who they are, what they are. We kind of get a sense of who they could be. So th- there's there's a couple of things that I wanted to point out just about how... What ends up happening is that the family out there is their copies. The The ringleader is clearly uh, Adelaide's copy. 
and they break into the house and they hold the family hostage. So there were, I think there were a few missed opportunities to really amplify the horror aspects of that scene. And it's a problem that's throughout the rest of the movie, actually. And it's, it's two things. You never really feel that the protagonists are ever really in danger after those first few moments. And I'll just, I'll just add this one thing and then I, I want to hear what you have to say. There's a best, the best example I can think of is for this specific scene. So they're in the house and the dad, he grabs his bat and he goes out to investigate. Now, I think what happens right after that is you see him outside the house asking questions and then he comes back in and then he comes back out a bit. And the camera's following him through this whole thing. Uh, we as the viewer always know where he is. We always know where the family is. So he is beaten a bit and he is tossed around by his doppelganger. I thought what was going to happen in the movie was he was going to disappear for a while. The family's not going to know where the fuck he is. We're never left thinking what what happened to him. Is he? Because we don't know who those people are yet really either. You're always with him. In the subsequent scenes uh, that you see in the next half hour, 40 minutes of the movie, what the pattern was was the doppelgangers do something creepy, scary. Then the protagonists run away for a bit and they get away safely and there's I, I never felt there were stakes for them being you know seriously or irreparably harmed or, or killed yeah that that did bother me about it the doppelgangers of of the main protagonist family seem to intentionally toy with them to a point that alleviates some suspense or some dread of, of something terrible actually happening. I was wondering all the while why they hadn't just killed them. That was the point. They, they oh, wanted yeah. to untether themselves. Yeah. And kill their doppelgangers. That's a very good point. Why didn't they just do it? They were toying with them for some reason. Yeah. And then later in the movie, the, the doppelgangers of their, their friends, the Tyler family. Kill them instantly. Kill them instantly. <laughs> kill them and instantly. same with everybody else in the movie. When the yeah. doppelgangers are released, they just go on a murderous rampage and kill everybody without any sort of play or irony about it they just they just kill people so i was wondering all the while why the main family wasn't killed indiscriminately like that i suppose the obvious answer is it wouldn't be much of a movie if they had been yeah 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 i know um but you can you can you can kind of explain it away um with things like the adelaide doppelganger is revealed to have been basically the ringleader for this whole uprising and so it was it was a very personal thing for her so you can explain it by saying well maybe because it was so personal for her maybe she wanted to elongate it or she had deeper intentions than to just go kill her twin Adelaide as soon as she surfaced maybe she had a point or a message to say, you know, message to convey. I think maybe that's what they were going for slightly or giving them too much credit. I thought about that as I was watching it the second time. It made me realize, okay, so she wants a toy with her, but so she also wants uh, her individual family members to toy with their respective copies or the originals, the respective originals, and gave them specific instructions of how to do it. Okay, the two dads are going to go into the boat and then he's going to drive him in the boat for a bit and then kill him. <laughs> where were they going? I, yeah, where were really they understand. going? Uh, and at some point when they start fighting the two dads, the doppelganger tries to kill the original dad. But why then? Why not before? Like, what was the, what were the instructions? Right, right. that's not explained. Yeah. A lot of things were not explained to an annoying degree in this movie. One of them that happened in that scene that really bothered me is this idea that the movements of a person and their twin are linked somehow. So I remember oh, yeah, they're on yeah. the boat. Gabe and his doppelganger, I think is Abraham. 
They're on the boat. They've just climbed out of the water. And uh, Gabe climbs onto the boat and his doppelganger behind him. And his doppelganger pins him down against the motor and is trying to stab him with scissors, essentially. He's like, he's pushing these scissors closer and closer to to, uh, Gabe's neck. And in order to escape, Gabe smacks his own head on the motor, which the doppelganger feels as if his head was smacked and he falls into the water. Did you catch that? No, I didn't. That's a... It's funny that you mentioned that because I noticed this other thing. This is more pronounced in the movie. It's the scene when the copy of the young son, the arsonist, is killed by the original boy walking backwards to make his doppelganger walk into the fire. Right. There seems to be unclear rules on when this is possible, when they're tethered, when they're not. It comes up a a few times that that are the most convenient to the protagonist, and it's not really explained at all. It's it's alluded to, and it happens a few times, but it's just totally unexplained. Well, you say convenient to them, but why wouldn't they realize it and do it more often, right? (laughs) So, So this is... This is what I mean. I and mean, I felt the same thing about Get Out, actually. that They're supposedly great horror movies, and yet they seem to just fail at some of the most basic things that good horror movies do well. Consistency in your world. The thing about that, too, is, you know, to your point, it's unclear why they don't just kill them right away. Right. This is a phenomenon uh, that occurs sometimes. Their, their actions, their movements are linked, and just other times they're not for reasons. Yes, it for is a reason. Loosely, yeah. It's loosely explained, lazily explained, just by the fact that they're tethered in general. Which is not so really an explanation. No, it's, it's not a sufficient a, one. No, not a sufficient one. If I, if I was to suggest fixes at, for, for this aspect of the movie, I personally think maybe they were going for something that was a bit more of a family-friendly horror. There aren't the kinds of stakes that you see in more mature, edgy horror stuff. I would have liked if there was some kind of price that was paid by the family in terms of a sacrifice if someone died or someone not necessarily died but you know went through some some kind of physical uh, loss or trauma right which they don't and uh, i'll just mention two things here i remember one of the worst and this is where the movie started really falling apart for me is when adelaide and her family are they take refuge in the tyler's home and they find that they're you know all uh doppelgangers the two kids kind of split off and have their own separate side adventure with the twins I don't know why they're twins. I don't know why any of the white characters, like the family, the white family have the characteristics that they have. The dad's kind of a douchebag. The mom is vain. Okay, then what? Those are just kind of traits that are thrown in there for no reason. And their kids are twins. Why are they twins? I don't know. And their doppelgangers like doing, what are they called? Handstands and, and stuff. And that's unclear why they like doing that. It just felt like things thrown in there. But my main point is, so what happens in those scenes? The girls kind of freak out our protagonists for a little bit, and then they bash their heads in. That's what happens each time. And then the scene is over. Well, what are you supposed to take from that? They were never really in any harm. They addressed the threat right away. They eliminated the threat right away. And the movie just keeps marching on. There were a lot of those little things here and there where I just felt were missed opportunities for, you know, actual horror. Yeah, it's true. It wasn't a brilliant horror flick, and I don't think it was meant to be. Really. I I think the scenes were paced quite well, and the scenes created uh, an eerie sense of suspense, usually, that was pretty effective. The the horror sequences were pretty much akin to just a run-of-the-mill slasher film. Like, they weren't totally, they weren't, you know, so well-developed or so well-thought-out. It was just, you know, the enemy pops out and the protagonist bashes their head in with a rock or a... Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's fair to say. The thing that 
it's the strongest point of the movie. I should mention, yeah, as you talked about earlier, some of the acting is pretty good. Felt the Tyler family, they were just caricatures or whatever. I don't think they really added much to the movie. There was some comedic relief. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. all they served. Yeah, Lupita Nyong'o's great. They're just the way she embodies her doppelganger is very creepy, very eerie, just uh, body language. Everything about that was pretty good. Yeah, I think the movie treated handled that aspect of things uh, best of just unraveling what their connection was. The fear Adelaide had for her doppelganger, which uh, we later find out is because, and this is the twist of the movie, which I thought was a pretty good twist. When Adelaide as a little girl went into the house of horrors or whatever it was, it was no, it was a vision quest from a, like a shaman attraction thing, right? Yeah, it was just yeah, a spooky was haunted a, house with yeah, funny hallway, mirror rooms and things. Hallway mirrors. So we uh, we were thinking the whole time, the viewers meant to think that Adelaide went in there, was traumatized, and then escaped. But then we find out that it was actually the doppelganger who replaced Adelaide in the real world. So this whole time we've been following the story of the doppelganger, the copy. And that just instantly explains a lot of her odd behavior, how she doesn't like to talk, and her silence when she was a child after this traumatic incident happened, well, that's because we should mention too that none of the doppelgangers can talk. Right, except yeah. for her doppelganger, which yeah. it was... See, I found that twist a little bit too spelled out in the movie. From the early scene where her daughter can't speak, kind of, I had that feeling right away. And just the fact that this is a doppelganger movie where people have doppelgangers, yeah. I think it would be more of a twist if she wasn't switched. Yeah. <laughs> it's like twist ending. She's been herself all along. Yeah, like, so the movie really builds up to that scene where they're where she goes back through the through the hallway of mirrors and underground into these tunnels and bunkers where all these copies have been hidden. And then you, you get that big confrontation scene where the Bond villain moment where the villain just explains everything. They explain much too much, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they should have just kept it to the intimate thing between them. I think the rest is pretty much assumed. Yeah. Uh, so she explains all this stuff about how they had to do this and how... Uh, she wanted to send a big message. That's the other thing that I thought was a really... It was meant to be deep, I guess, but was pretty silly. Though the Hands Across America thing. So that, like, I, I don't know what the context of Hands Across America is exactly. So it might have some kind of cultural significance when it comes to poverty or something like that, which ties in with the movie's theme. But basically, Adelaide, the one, uh, the little girl, she sees this commercial for Hands Across America and... Then she ends up, you know, underground after her doppelganger f puts her in her place there. You, the, the thing that happens is that she uses this as her inspiration for her plot, which involves them all using scissors for some reason, too. Where do they get these scissors? Where they get all these thousands and thousands of scissors, and, and they want to just create this big hands across America gesture symbol across across the country and that's how the movie ends was just this is a statement yeah yeah this statement shot for the, these people just holding hands through america through the mountains through the wild so was that is that a happy ending then if the lower class or these <laughs> doppelgangers that have been repressed for so long emerge and take over society is it sort of an underdog success story of, i don't know of the lower class finally redeeming themselves in the context of the movie, it makes no goddamn sense because I get it. The metaphor is there, but what, so is the movie saying that people who are the underclasses are people who live echoed shitty versions of the lives of the rich and they're, they're people who can't speak and they're simpletons <laughs> who are violent and craving <laughs> okay. revenge. Okay. Well, what I will say about that is one thing that bothered me 
when I first considered it, but then it kind of makes sense if you if you think about it, I guess, maybe, is the fact that it's revealed that Adelaide, um, she was switched by her doppelganger. So she is actually the subverted doppelganger throughout yeah, the entire yeah, movie. Yeah. That's that's the twist ending. Yeah, yeah. But that has really no consequences throughout the movie. Like, she still grows up to be a good person. She's yeah. a responsible mother. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the fact that she was switched by this seemingly evil doppelganger has no consequences which annoyed me at first but then i thought well maybe maybe it's intentional that's why i say you can you can pick apart these things and you find yourself wondering were they intentional were they not maybe what peel was saying was that these subverted people the lower class they're just like anybody else and if they're given the same opportunities and put in the same social context they can be perfectly normal uh, moral people, successful people, just like anybody else. There, are, there are really no differences. It's just circumstantial. Oh, yeah, that's that's a. I, I didn't I think, think about I'm, that. I'm th- I think I'm reaching there. Yeah, I think, you think like, you're reaching. The, I don't think these things were intentional, but <laughs> I at <laughs> least could argue they're there. Though. I at least, yeah, you can, yeah, you can yeah. argue. <laughs> so that was a good discussion. Uh, I think we we chose wisely because we were talking about this one for a while, eh? <laughs> There's a lot yeah, to say yeah, about this, yeah. which is I I think it's what I like most about it is you can have these discussions. There's a lot to say and a lot to think about. Whether you come out of it thinking that it's just a hobbled mess, maybe it is. At least it's thought-provoking. Is it? <laughs> it has been for me. I think it's, honestly, it's, it's the cultural phenomenon of it, I think, that has me interested. Because I guess, yeah, I guess before we get into our final judgments, I, I kind of want to get into why you think this movie does resonate with such a big audience. Um, it's, it, I think it's definitely emerged at the perfect time for it. Um, this is what at least our generation, millennial culture, if there is such a thing, is kind of craving is movies that sort of have some sort of narrative about culture or are critical of culture in a way. You know, this is a Jordan Peele's movie where the first one was a very obvious commentary on racism. Yeah. So it, it has that sort of underpinning of um, just critical critique of culture which i think people want it it is successful at it to a certain degree like i i definitely feel like i i got the point that the movie was making though i'm not certain that it was intentionally trying to make this point or not i think it was <laughs> i think it was and also was it worth a two like what was the premise and storyline enough to justify a two hour long movie no it it dragged i i feel like the third act of the movie which basically revealed the the literal explanations of what was happening and why the doppelgangers existed. That was my biggest problem with the movie. That, that third act, the metaphor that it's trying to make about an upper class and a lower class and the, the consequences of sort of a successful Western society, the, the third act of the movie serves to, to take away from that point by being too literal about the explanations of who the doppelgangers are, why they exist. They're in these tunnels put there by this massive government conspiracy to control the people on the surface and um, when everything's explained so literally like that you're it just turns on your sort of nitpicking literal brain that just starts finding plot holes everywhere like if the if the doppelgangers were put in the tunnels to control the people above why does it seem like the actions of the people above control the doppelgangers it's like they show those these scenes where all the people are at the circus or the fair or whatever and they're just playing their games they're going on rides. They're talking to each other. And then it, sh- it cuts to the tunnels. 
where all the doppelgangers are and the doppelgangers are going through these weird hobbled motions kind of mimicking yeah, the people yeah. above the person who gives the shirt to the kid as a prize where do you get the shirt from right <laughs> but it definitely from these scenes it seems yeah. like the the people above are acting in a logical rational way and it's it's kind of controlling the motions of the people underneath which makes no goddamn sense it makes no sense but I could argue that they did explain that the project failed. So maybe that's one of its failures. And then they were all just like... See, this is what I mean. Like, we as the viewers have to start trying to make excuses for this movie and, and fill in. Like, a good movie doesn't do this. Like, they you don't it, worry about these they things. They made it much too literal at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which just exposed all the plot holes. If they had just removed those explanations, those literal explanations, and just let the metaphor be loosely implied... I think it would have been been a, a much tighter and better movie. Yeah, just final judgment time. Well, what would you say this movie is? Fixable, broken beyond repair. I think I like this movie probably a lot more than you did. And I think it's definitely fixable. It has some glaring problems that bother me, but I think they could easily be fixed, not even by adding anything to the movie i think they could be fixed just by taking things out taking out the explanations agreed. of this government agreed. conspiracy and i think it would be such an easy fix just remove a lot of aspects of the third act don't explain the doppelgangers to that extent how they're part of a government conspiracy just let the the metaphor um speak for itself and, and let people extrapolate from that you know yeah. the more literal you get in explaining things the more plot holes you create, really, in this instance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I was just to use reference another movie that's kind of a comparable, that does this, you know, mystery approach of, you know, not explaining too much of what's going on is The Double, the, the one with uh, Jesse Eisenberg. So I, I would recommend that for people who l like watching movies about doubles and that kind of stuff. It was a doppelganger movie? It was a doppelganger movie. Was, uh, he, was he switched with his doppelganger at some point? It's uh, it's not that clear cut. It's one of those movies where, as 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 I was just saying, this is an example of something where all all the answers aren't given and not everything is explained, and there's a bit of a mystery, and it works to the benefit of the movie. And as far as us goes, for me, I, I I agree with you. I think it is fixable. I think there is merit in the ideas it's exploring. It it kind of just scrapes the surface with most of them and most of the things that it's been given all this praise for. I think a lot could be lost in in all of the movie's acts, like the beginning, middle, end. I feel like it could almost be like a good uh, episode of Black Mirror if you know if it had some kind of technology kind of angle to it. That's what the length is. What I mean, that's like something that's like it, an it, hour. It would have made a really good episode of Black Mirror. That, you think that so? You mentioned it. Yeah, it, it, the plot. I think it would have really worked for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just think the length too. Just something like it's fifty minutes to an hour. You get introduced to the family and then. I think the movie needed to have stakes, higher stakes, where maybe one of the kids is killed, or some, like, or the father's killed. Somebody, the mother has to lose somebody. She has to pay a price for what she did, and what price does she pay? Nothing. There's no price paid, really. Right. Yeah, the well, movie comes out intact, and the although, movie wanted us to root for this family and have them all, you know, come out in one piece. I will say that she seem she seemed to have suffered the loss of. The doppelgangers of her children though which i she which did was kind of interesting like yeah. she she definitely mourned for them in those instances tried to co comfort her daughter's doppelganger when she was pinned against that tree dying. oh yeah 
to just go and back her to her son. She was she was agonizing when her son's doppelganger was, you know, set on fire. Uh, yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, I I think it just needed, you know, if you want to do the horror thing, do the horror thing properly. Pay more attention and more care to what what traits and and you know personalities you give your characters i mean beyond i'd say the mom and the dad everything that the characters are is pretty interchangeable like what is the movie trying to say with each one of them i think the movie needed to make a more direct correlation between the main family and the tyler family how they contrasted with each other and what their dynamic was like the more more care needed to be made to that i mean the scenes we get between them are pretty superficial and what are you supposed to take away from their deaths the way they died who knows who cares streamline that end make it more of a mystery i think that would have made this a far superior movie a more interesting one i think it's one of those cases where it's a movie that's trying to be accessible to a mainstream audience and when it does that it gets neutered because you want to make people uncomfortable but you don't want to make them too uncomfortable but when you're when you're a movie that's about identity and someone else taking your identity you're supposed to make people uncomfortable i don't think that movie accomplished that for me at all i think that's its main failing really fair enough yeah i think um for jordan peele's sake it was a successful movie for the audience he was pitching it to after in the wake of get out the sort of people who like get out will like this movie why so because they're both sort of offbeat pseudo horror movies they're not straight horrors there's um, comedic relief. They're a little bit quirky. They're like quirky horrors that have social commentary. And um, I, th- I think it was a, a worthy follow-up to get out. I don't know. Pretty forgettable for me. I would say after watching this one, I have no interest in seeing what he does next. So, yeah, that was a good conversation. Uh, before we sign off, uh, we just wanted to talk about, uh, just give you guys some recommendations of what we've been listening to lately uh anything you'd want to recommend rob uh, let's see um I, I think i'm late to the to the party for this one but um good omens have you have you seen this one on amazon prime i don't want to recommend a- amazon prime itself but if you happen to subscribe to it okay. good omens is uh <laughs> two stuff i've only seen a few episodes a few episodes of it but i'm loving it so far it's uh I, I suppose a, a biblically set comedy about an angel and a demon who are both serving to halt the end of the world, the Armageddon, and stop the Antichrist from rising to power and bringing on the, the Armageddon and the death of everybody for different reasons. But it's, it's an offbeat sort of uh, comedy about the interplay between these two characters, the angel and the demon. It's really good. It's funny. Oh, I think I did see a trailer or something about it. Is the cast mainly British or something oh, like yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a British yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Written yeah, by, yeah. or produced by, I'm not sure, by uh, Neil Gaiman. Funnily enough, one of the things I have to recommend is British as well. I just started watching it the other day, actually. It's, I think, the latest show by Ricky Gervais. It's called Afterlife. It's on Netflix. Pitching the British shows. Okay. Yeah, British shows. Yeah, so... I also would not recommend getting Netflix, but if you already happen to have Netflix, <laughs> then <laughs> then watch this show. So the premise of it is pretty interesting. It's, it's a funny premise for a comedy. It's a comedy. So it's about this middle-aged guy whose wife dies of cancer and he's just given up on life and depressed and ha- 
feels like there's no reason to go on, but uh, kind of just lives this new part of his life as a, you know, I'll get to do whatever the fuck I want and I don't give a shit and I'll, I'll just treat people like shit and do whatever I want. And if I happen to just get tired of it, I can just always kill myself. So it's like a bonus or something. And it's a good premise. I like if, uh, if, if anybody has seen The Invention of Lying, which is a Ricky Gervais movie from a while back, I think he's the only one who can lie in a world where everybody says the truth all the time. So very, uh, lots of similarities there. If you like that, you'll probably like this show. And yeah, that's, that's my recommendation for, for this episode. Yeah, Sounds good. Yeah, so uh, yeah, you've been listening to Fix This Flick. Thank you very much for listening uh, to our very first episode. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. We'd be happy to hear comments, feedback on whatever thing we end up putting this, this podcast on. <laughs> So feel free to share and uh, we'll be back with another episode soon. All right. Over and out. Aren't you going to say bye? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, that was uh, Fix This Flick. Well, I already said we the love, name of the show. We, we love you guys. You know, we're here for you. <laughs> yeah, we're and, here for uh, the people. You're, you're the people who make this all happen. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't do this without your generous, <laughs> generous <laughs> donations. Yeah. So we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. catch you next time. Yeah, all right. See ya. Bye.